Hi, everybody. Um, it's great to be with you here today. Uh, my family and I are so thrilled to be back in KZN and really looking forward to uh, partnering with you all as uh, Olive Tree is around the city and uh, enjoying God and loving people. Um, I'm going to open up in prayer and then we'll jump into the uh, word for today. God, as we uh, speak about your will for our lives, I really pray um, for so many of us in the city at the moment who are feeling a lack of peace, who are feeling anger, who are feeling anxious, who are trying to process and understand um, some big things that have happened around us. Lord, as we hold up your word, as we speak about your will, we want to invite you, Holy Spirit, to uh, speak into our minds and our hearts and to bring your peace, to, to uh, bring your thought, to bring the way you feel, God, about what's going on. We really want the word and the truth to be the things that define the way we think and feel and therefore the way we act. And so we invite you this morning, Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus Christ, who's given his life as a ransom for, for all, to come and speak and guide our minds and hearts in Christ Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Um, if you're sitting, most of you, at home with other people, um, give them a little nudge now to uh, get off their phones and off TikTok or Facebook or whatever they are. And we're about to have a little bit of a, an interactive quiz at home uh, if you're sitting with other people. If you find yourself on your own and you have access to a Alexa or a Hey Google, maybe you want to fire it up and you can ask them a question. Or, uh, you know, we, we're sorry that you're on your own. We pray that you'd feel the presence of God and the love of the church with you. Um, and maybe if you don't have a Google or Alexa, what I like to do is those old school floor fans, you can pull it up and turn it on facing away from you and then you can speak into the back of it like robot Alexa. And so you can do both sides of the conversation as we have this little quiz. But either way, I want to ask us a few questions. What do these things all have in common? The first words that Jesus says in the Bible, the first recorded words of Jesus what does that have in common with the first prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray in Scripture? What does that have in common with what John the Baptist, Jesus' kind of uh, uh, um, front runner and the messenger and the guy who hopped him up? What, what's the first thing John the Baptist says about Jesus before he starts his work? Uh, what's the thing that Jesus did and said after his resurrection, before he went back up to heaven and ascended to be with God? And lastly, what's the thing that Jesus spoke about more than any other topic um, while he was on earth that, we can, that we've got recorded in the Bible, what do those things have in common? Hey Alexa, hey Google, hey fan, hey person next to me. The answer is uh, the topic, the kingdom of God. The very first word that uh, Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, verse 5, this is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe in the gospel. The, the first words about Jesus from John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus' first prayer, many of us know, we pray, may your kingdom come, God. Uh, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, after his resurrection, Acts chapter 1 tells us that he appeared to the disciples, to the believers, over a period of 40 days. And what did he speak about? He spoke about the kingdom of God. It's what Jesus spoke about more than anything else. It's what God is doing right now on earth from the time Jesus came until the time Jesus comes back Again, and I want to say, I think it's impossible to find out the will of God for my individual life if we don't first understand the kingdom of God and what God is doing on earth. 
Um, I would highly recommend a book by uh, Derek Morphew, a local um, Cape Tonian theologian, um, his book on the kingdom, where he shares a few different ways that Jesus talks about the kingdom. So we're looking at that today. How does the kingdom of God fit in uh, for God's will for my life? But Jesus talked about it in four different ways. So sometimes he would say the kingdom of God is near. Sometimes he would say it is already here. Sometimes Jesus would say the kingdom has been delayed by something or someone. And sometimes he'd say this, the kingdom is still to come. So maybe the most helpful thing to bank right up front as we speak about the kingdom of God is that from the time Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of God is here, it's near, it's being ushered in. It began this age that's going to last until the day Jesus comes back again. We call it the kingdom now, but not yet. The kingdom here, but near, but still to come. And where do we live? Well, we live in between these two realities, the start of the kingdom of God and the completion of the kingdom of God. And so our study and understanding of the kingdom is crucial because it sits right in the middle of the gospel, the good news of Jesus and what he's doing on earth. It tells us a lot about the kind of God and the kind of king that he is. And so I believe it's a timeless and beautiful truth always that we should look at and understand. But I also really believe that it's a timely truth for today that's going to really help our souls, our hearts and minds um, to find sort of some sort of peace and calm. Because you, you may be sitting there like many of my friends and family are after the last few weeks that we've had with the whole city still smoldering around us with things having fallen down and been broken and asking yourself, man, we better today in church be speaking about something that matters, that speaks to the situation. And I know that there's a wide variety of responses to what's going on. We've got people who are ready to pack up and leave forever. The number of applications to uh, foreign governments for uh, visas and, and, and that from South Africa went up a ridiculous amount in the last couple of weeks. We've got people living in fear living in stress that it could happen again, people who fought and frozen and fled from situations and are really trying to make sense of our reactions in those moments. And the most of us, the biggest group of us, kind of feeling a little bit clueless and helpless about what we're supposed to feel or what on earth we are supposed to do. Maybe you can relate to that a little bit. And as we look at this topic of the kingdom and read now from Hebrews chapter 12, I, I really believe that it is such a helpful and timely topic in our world, in our city, and in our hearts right now. And so uh, we're going to read now um, from Hebrews chapter 12. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. These words indicate the removing of things that can be shaken, the created things, so that only what cannot be shaken will remain. Thank you so much, Sarah, for uh, reading that beautiful scripture. Um, in September and October 2019, I found myself in Cape Town in hospital for 29 days. And without boring you with too much of the detail, I essentially managed to somehow get uh, meningitis and encephalitis. That was quite a rare strain. So it's the varicella zoster virus. And so essentially, if you can imagine chickenpox around and inside your brain, making things pretty um, confused, that's what I had. It was quite hectic. I was in isolation for the first week because they thought I was very contagious. They were worried about that. Um, 
and that kind of led to my kidneys failing and almost going on dialysis, and it was just because of the meds. It was just a horrific time. And at the same time, uh, Christy, my wife, was six weeks pregnant with our first boy and found herself a little way into me being in hospital and in isolation, uh, two stories down in the uh, trauma emergency room, uh, bleeding, worried that the pregnancy had either been lost or there was some sort of complication. And if you can imagine the feeling of trying to talk to each other over WhatsApp, she can't come see me, I can't physically get out of bed to go and be there by her side. I just remember so clearly the feeling and thought of, God, I don't think there's much more in my world right now that could be more hectically shaken. It feels like literally all the important things have been shaken. And I didn't have this amazing, huge hold on faith and this wonderful response. I felt like I was clinging to any strand or mustard hope of faith and peace that I could. It was a real fight to get my thinking and my feeling and my body um, back to the way I believe God wants, um, wanted it to be. And maybe you can relate to some sort of a personal time like that where there's been crisis or lost or where it's felt like the world, uh, your world has been shaken. Certainly as a group, we can all relate to the last couple of weeks feeling like, man, there's not a whole lot in our city and the world around us that doesn't feel really shaken. And I, I know a bunch of us are trying to process trauma and grief right now. Um, and I think that's okay. I think when you've had to face um, long, dark nights of the soul where you're wondering whether you would stand barricade between yourself and your family to let them run or whether you try to grab them and run with you, um, when you're wondering when this stuff's going to end, is your business going to survive? Are you going to be able to look after your family and your staff and the people that you employ? Um, when you're wondering whether you'll, when you'll get food or baby formula or nappies again and how long that's going to last and how that's going to look. Uh, when you're being stopped by people at a roadblock and maybe getting really bad vibes from them because you're not the same color as them or you're not from their neighborhood and that fear and that anger and that anxiety all rolled into one with all of us trying to process it, we can relate to the sense of an injustice and a wrong in the world. And I would love to pretend that it's real easy to jump straight to hope and straight to faith and peace in that moment, right? But we know often it's a clinging on, going, God, be with us. Would you help us wrestle against these thoughts and these feelings and not let them become imprinted in our hearts and our minds? Now, interestingly, Hebrews, that scripture we read, it actually promises us a few things. When God promises things, we should really take confidence that he's going to do them. He doesn't lie, and he always does what he said he's going to do. But it doesn't start at the real, like, rainbows and butterflies kind of promises, right? The first promise we have is that the heavens and the earth will be shaken. And we can be sad by the kind of things that are happening in the world around us, but we shouldn't be surprised, Right? God's promised it. The, the earth and the heavens are going to be shaken. I don't want to get into a debate this morning about whether it's God doing the shaking or whether he allows it and uses it for good, but he's not surprised. In fact, he's promised it will happen. We need to think about our king and about the kingdom. Our theology of God and the way we feel needs to be prepared that that long, dark night of the soul will come again. Uh, when it feels like there's this wrestle between good and evil, between God and the enemy, when we have to fight for our faith and the emotions that we're feeling in that moment, uh, we need to have the right thinking. And, and just to pause there and go, that's not a KZN South Africa thing. That is a, any city of man, any kingdom of the world that is built on earthly things that can be removed has that same problem. Between the kingdom now and the kingdom not yet, there's going to be a shaking of the earth. And the things that are created and temporary, the things that are man-made, are going to be removed. But, but, 
gets to beauty, there is something good to hold on to, to anchor ourselves to, to grip to in those moments. With the fullest of hope and the most glorious things in all of eternity, the kingdom of God and God the King are unshakable. And so that thing that can encourage my heart and my mind, however I'm feeling today, is that there's something solid and unshakable that I can build my life on, that I can hold hope onto that's not going to disappoint. Like that little castle in the middle of that snow globe, no matter how it gets shaken, no matter what's happening and floating down all around it, that thing stays solid. It stays unmovable in the middle of chaos, in the upside down kingdom, in the violent shaking. It holds firm, just like the kingdom of God. And so I want to spend the rest of today looking at how do we live there? If, if that's true, if it's possible to live like that, how do we access that foundation of peace and that kind of consistency in God? Uh, if you had your uh, Bibles open earlier to Hebrews chapter 12, you would have seen that there were quotation marks um, as Sarah uh, read there. And that Hebrews passage is actually quoting um, another book of the Bible. It's quoting the book of Hagar, uh, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Not minor as in like under 18, minor as in short. It's only two chapters long, so it's not one of the beefy ones like Isaiah and Jeremiah. It's a minor chapter. It's only two chapters long. And uh, if you want to know your Bible, it's happening about 70 years after exile in about 520 BC. And God's using two different prophets at the same time to speak to his people. He's using Hagar and he's using Zechariah. Um, <clears throat> I'm not exactly sure why we name our kids Zechariah and not Hagar. Seems like an absolutely wonderful name for a boy or a girl. Um, but anyway, I digress. Um, but in Hagar, which that Hebrew scripture references, we see a snapshot of the kingdom and learn lessons that I think help us tremendously to live today. And so a couple overview reasons why it's helpful. Um, if you know Nehemiah, which Ross talked about last week and the story of rebuilding the city, that story actually gets its roots in Hagar. Uh, before the city's rebuilt, the house of the Lord is rebuilt and the promises made here end up in the book of Nehemiah. And so it's lovely to understand that journey. But secondly, the Old Testament is full of these waves of God wanting to build his kind of kingdom through a faithful group of people who trust in him. He always wants to put his presence in the middle of a group of people and use them to build his kingdom to reach the people of the world and to defeat evil. That's largely what the Old Testament is about. But because of waves of wave of people's rebellion and disobedience and sin, we see him trying to do this and it not working over and over again. And so it's why if you've read, if you just started reading the Bible, you'll often see both the disciples and the Pharisees, the people who are following Jesus and who disagree with him, asking similar questions. Is it now the time, Jesus, for you to restore the kingdom of God? And so the reason that they asked that is because the Bible they were reading, it was kind of the central question. And so the people in Haggai that we're going to look at now were asking that exact same question. And it's broken up into four parts that we can learn from today as we seek to bring the kingdom of God into a city um, that's a little bit in ruins. So first of all, we see in Haggai a group of people that wanted the kingdom, but not the king. Secondly, we see a group of people who were longing for a return to the old normal, rather than believing in the promises of the kingdom that was to come. Thirdly, we see a people that had a choice whether they would rebuild with the same old injustice and sin, or whether they would repent and build in a different way. And lastly, number four, we see that despite the setbacks, God's longing at the end of the book, even though it doesn't work through that group of people, he still wants to build the kingdom through a faithful group of people. So we're going to look at those four points for the rest of the morning. Uh, Haggai chapter 1, verse 3 to 6 
under the heading of the people who wanted the kingdom but not the king, says this. Then the word of the Lord came to the people through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in these paneled houses when the house of the Lord remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted so much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never seem to have enough. You drink, but you never have your full. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn a wage only to put it in a purse with holes in it. The challenge here is to give a careful thought to our ways in Durban in 2021. And I want to tell you a little bit about what happens when I give careful thoughts to my ways, when I do a little bit of a heart audit in the midst of processing chaos. What I find out in giving careful thought to my ways is that often my heart tends a whole lot more towards building my paneled house than the house of the Lord. I'm very interested and invested in my family being protected and provided for, my comfort, my safety, my income, my career. Not evil things, hear me out here, not evil things, but not ultimate things. Good things that the Creator gives us, but not the Creator, right? Lovely blessings from God without being God themselves. I would love comfort and peace and prosperity and justice and goodness, but Scripture is full of generations of people who wanted the things of God more than God, who wanted the kingdom but didn't want the king, who didn't want to bow and surrender to a king. There's a beautiful book by Mark Sayers called Disappearing Church, which I'd highly recommend reading. But unfortunately, if we live like that, then when the world is indeed shaken, if our hope is in the created thing, not the creator, those things are going to prove to be very shakable and removable. Again, not bad things, but the king is the point of the kingdom and the creator is the point of creation. We must give careful thought to our ways. And so I want to ask us a bunch of questions as we process this stuff, as we try and align our hearts and minds with King Jesus. I want to ask myself, do I want protection without running into the arms of the Father and trusting his will for my life and the earth? Do I want provision but not want to have to acknowledge that everything I have comes from God. Everything that I've been given comes directly from Him, not my hard work, not my building of my kingdom. Do I want justice in the world, but don't want to bend my knee to the just judge who I have wronged and sinned against? Do I long for love to run through our country and Ubuntu and harmony and oneness, but I don't want to tell people that the cross is the only love and the only uniting and the only way to get to the community with God and for true love to actually ring out in the city? Do I want peace in my neighborhood, but not want to obey the Prince of Peace and do what he tells me to do? Do I want the kingdom without the king? And have I therefore been holding on to things that are shakable? Part two of Haggai, one month later, Haggai comes back to the people after this instruction, after this corning, and they're beginning to rebuild out of the ruins. And what we see is a people who are starting to long for the old normal rather than holding on to the beautiful promise of the kingdom that was to come. And rather than praying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so Haggai chapter two, verse three to nine says this. Haggai, God says, Haggai asked them, who of you rebuilding is left who saw this house in its former glory. How does it now look to you? Does it not seem like nothing? Is the rebuilding, is the, the attempt to get stuff back to normal, does it not seem like nothing? Now be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. 
for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted, what I promised with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you, so do not fear, because this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, and this is where Hebrews comes from, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake every nation, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill my house with glory, says the Lord. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declared the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be far greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord. And in this place, I will grant my peace. Think about what's happening in this group of people. We can relate to it so much. With the chaos and crumbling of the city around them, God has promised through two different prophets that there will be a people that he uses to rebuild his temple, to establish his kingdom that reaches all the people of the earth to defeat evil. And as they start rebuilding, what's their response? Not to look at what God has promised and what he's doing, but to look back and to long for what it was like two Thursdays ago before things went to chaos. They start rebuilding, but their response is not to look at what God is doing. They think this must be wrong. It can't be right. How do we get back to the glory days? So why I think when Jesus teaches his disciples and us to pray, his instruction is to pray hard. When you pray, pray that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think he's coaching our hearts because my tendency and probably yours is to long for an old safe normal, even if it's nowhere near as the gloriousness of the future kingdom that he has for us. I found myself longing for things to go back to the way they were, even though I know how much of it now was shakeable and temporary, how much of it I couldn't hope and build my life on and have confidence in. And it's not, again, not evil. It's just not the A plan. God's will for our lives is that we would hold on to the promises, the vision of the kingdom that he is building and what's to come. And I, I know, I want to say, I know sitting here today that this is not easy because many of us are still mourning and still grieving something that feels like it was taken from us. But I don't know how to comfort you other than to say that the promises of God are true, that he is faithful, and that if he says something is good for us, if he has a will and a plan for us, it is far better than anything else we can build our life on. Many people in Haggai didn't see it. Many of the disciples didn't see it. Many who'd been taken out of slavery didn't see it. They grumbled for the old way. But we need to build our lives on the future promises of God. The third part of Haggai continues in a, a similar vein. It asks the questions, how are we now going to rebuild Will we rebuild with the same injustices and sin that existed in the people before? Or will we repent and change our ways and build faithfully according to the obedience God has for us? I'm not going to read Haggai chapter 2, verse 10 to 14, but if you want to do a Bible study afterwards, you can look at that and cross-reference it with both Ezra and Zechariah to see how beautiful this is. But here's the summary statement for me. If we rebuild without repentance with the same impurities, with the same kind of wrong thinking, with the same kind of brokenness, we will get the same result. We'll get things that are shakeable and not things that are, t are permanent and eternal. Um, when uh, the three of us were out here over Christmas as a family, God had already been speaking to us about a definitive move to KZN. We had started a family. We loved it in Cape Town, but we felt God saying it's time to move back. And the logical thing there is, grannies and grandpas and family and cousins running around. And so there's a lovely natural reason to want to return to KZN. But as we were here, 
we were in the midst of some COVID and economic stuff. And I remember God speaking so clearly through the book of Nehemiah and ultimately back to Haggai that God was bringing us back here for a spiritual rebuilding purpose as well. He has plans that he longs us to give our hands to uh, serve to, um, to help rebuild a city around faith and around hope and around the kingdom of God. I just want to say, I know I'm a lucky one. I know I'm very privileged. Born in the UK, British citizen, lived in Cape Town, which feels at times so far removed from the rest of South Africa. You want to know what the question is that most of my friends and family have been asking either in a serious or joking way? Why on earth would you leave? Have you got your passport sorted for your boy? Again, not evil things. God calls us to different nations at different times. And if he calls us somewhere else, we want to be obedient to what he asks us to do. But let me tell you something. I believe God wants us, all of us who are here, whether by a distinct word to be here or whether by the default of the fact that we are placed here right now to serve towards building this kingdom, his kingdom in Durban as it is in heaven. And maybe it's the fresh eyes and the optimism, but I'm going, God, please help me to rebuild differently. If this is an opportunity more than it is a curse, and I know that's hard because it feels so much like a curse, but if we're holding to God's promises, then here are some things that I personally am repenting from. Maybe, again, you can relate to them and want to do the same. Otherwise, please uh, come up with your own. But repentance, changing the way we think and feel at these moments, at these junctures, is such a beautiful gift from God. And so, first of all, I think I'm finding myself repenting for not loving my direct neighbors well, sometimes to the point of not even knowing their names. And so when that dark night arrived, when the trouble came knocking, I realized God, God going, you need to love your neighbor better. I'm confident, I'm repenting, but I'm confident there's going to be the pattern here. I'm confident that God is using even this kind of crisis to build a new kind of fellowship and community in neighborhoods. Let's let him do it. I'm repenting personally of wanting to criticize people who in the moments of chaos and panic responded or reacted differently to me. I find myself being very judgmental of anyone who was faster or slower or in a different place and for the thoughts that followed in my mind after those moments. I'm confident that we all find healing in Jesus, no matter how we responded in that moment. I'm repenting of my heart's tendency to judge whole groups of people rather than loving and understanding individuals. But I'm confident if we pray and if we listen more than we judge and condemn, then our hearts will heal and we'll learn to love people well. I'm repenting of having filled my mind with opinion and WhatsApp group strategy way more than I did with the timeless truth and wisdom of God and worship in those moments. Again, not evil things, just not ultimate things, right? But I'm confident that the word of God is true, that the spirit is within us, and that he's shaping us and using us to be different when the long dark night of the soul arrives again. I'm repenting of expecting government to take care of the poor widow and orphan and the foreigner when scripture tells me they belong to the church. Now, should government do stuff? Absolutely, I've got thoughts and so do you. Scripture tells us to pray for our leaders and for us to act on behalf of the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner who will always be with us. And so I'm repenting, but I'm confident that the silver belongs to God, that the gold is his, and that there is enough glory and provision in the house of the God for us to band together and take care of this city. 
God, we want to rebuild with love and justice, not with the same brokenness as before. God, please help us to live like that. And I think that takes us beautifully to our uh, last thought here today. That fourth thing we see in, in Haggai is that no matter the, the response of an unfaithful people, God's longing, his desire, and his ultimate plan is still to build the kingdom of God on earth through his people. We know it doesn't happen in Haggai or Nehemiah or anywhere else under the old covenant, but his will and his plan remains the same. An international kingdom that he establishes across the nations of men that reaches out to those who would bend their knee and that ultimately defeats evil. And a kingdom that promotes love and justice with the king firmly seated on the throne because that's where the power and the glory comes from. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, well, what stops us from being that group of people like Haggai? We know that we can repent and change and do stuff, but ultimately that's not the, where the power and the grace comes from. To understand how to have the kingdom now, what did we need? What did we see we needed in the book of Haggai? We needed the good, powerful king on the throne. We needed an obedient and faithful and holy people that God can use to reach the kingdoms of the earth and to build his kingdom. And we need a temple to be established, God's presence and power to be in the middle of his people. And our miracle, our story amongst all of this is that when the good King Jesus came down to earth, he was not a dictator king. He was not a military king. He was a servant king called the Prince of Peace and the Wonderful Counselor. He will come again with a sword, but he came with a towel the first time because he's being very patient that why as many people as possible would bend their knee and come to know him. But here's the beautiful thing about what Jesus did when he came to earth, lived his life, went to the cross and overcame death um, and, and defeated the evil one. He not only dealt with the evil plans of the enemy that we saw surrounding the book of Haggai, but he also dealt with the rebellion of his people by becoming the sacrifice by becoming the one who could cover over our sin, our rebellion, and our shame, not just the evil that exists out there, but the evil that exists in here. And he makes us into a holy and faithful people by taking on our old dirty lives and by giving us his beautiful new life. He covers our brokenness and gives us the Holy Spirit. It's unbelievably beautiful. And so we have the good, powerful king who is on the throne, and we celebrate him as our King Jesus. We know that we are being made into a faithful and holy people by his power and his life. But where does the temple come in? Or what does scripture tell us in the new covenant? Who's the temple? We are. We are the dwelling place, the living stones in the house of God, the very temple of the Holy Spirit, the holy of holies. And so our comfort is that no matter what bricks fall down around us, no matter what aluminium factories come down, the kingdom of God will prevail through the faithfulness of Jesus and through the faithfulness of the people who follow him and love him. If I had a whole nother sermon in this point, I might talk about the fact that we see Zerubbabel, the prince of the city, and Joshua, the priest, people called to build the kingdom in the city and people called to build the kingdom in the church, working beautifully together to be able to see the restoration of the city. But I don't have time. So instead, I want to end with a benediction and then a prayer. And I'll benediction here today is from Revelation chapter 1, the last time, uh, the last book of the Bible, we see God again speaking about the kingdom. All the way through from Exodus 19, as he takes people out of the desert and gives them a promise on Mount Sinai and talks about the kingdom, all the way through 
to the book of Revelation, and we see his longing for the kingdom to be built. And here's what it says in Revelation chapter 1. To him who loves us, to King Jesus who loves us, to the God who loves us, to the powerful Prince of Peace who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be that kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him, to that King Jesus, be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we confess once again that too often we long for the kingdom things, but don't long for the king. God, we repent and we say right now, on the thrones of our heart, at the center of this church and in the middle of the city, God, would you be King Jesus, the good, powerful, loving servant king. Help us to surrender to you right now, God, where we've picked up things that you never picked up, where we pick up unhelpful anger, when we pick up prejudice. Lord, Lord you never picked those things up despite the fact that you had every right to. You forgave, and would you help us right now to bend our knee to that King Jesus? Would you help us to serve and to lead in the same kingdom ways? Lord, we confess again that our hearts tend towards the old things that we're familiar with on earth. God, would you fill us right now by your spirit and give us a new heart that dreams and longs for the promises of your kingdom to come? And Lord, we we commit today that we don't want to rebuild with the same injustice and brokenness that was built before. We want to build faithfully and obediently according to your ways. And we proclaim that you are the master builder. Jesus, you are the king on the throne. You are the savior of the world. You are the prince of peace, the only peace on earth and in heaven. And so we invite you today to build your kingdom in us and to build your kingdom through us. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen.